Nervous school days for leaders in our schools. Uh, the dog days of summer are a doggone challenge for Anderson County Paws. And giving praise to some hardworking Pelzer residents. All this and more on this edition of the Anderson Observer. News from People You Trust podcast. And this week's podcast includes interviews with Tri-County Technical College President Galen DeHay, Anderson School Superintendents Robbie Benneker and Kathy Hip, along with Paul's Director Kim Sanders and Pelzer Heritage Commission Officers Diane Lawless and Larry Coker. It has been a busy summer in Anderson, and Celebrate Anderson will usher in Labor Day in just three weeks, so summer is just about gone. Uh, census numbers are in, at least unofficially. Uh, they show that Anderson County has added more than 17,000 residents, but more importantly show a jump in median income in the county to $54,000 per year in 2020. That's up more than $15,000 from 2010, which is good news all around. And hopefully the official census numbers, which are expected in September, will confirm even more good news. Uh, of course, the key to all these good numbers is the upcoming redistricting of, uh, redistricting of areas served by elected officials across the state. And it could lead to some significant changes in Anderson. So it's going to be interesting to see how they redraw the lines. On another note, Pelzer may just be the fastest growing city in the state, posting a 1,480% growth uh, since 2010. So they went from 89 citizens to more than 1,400 citizens in 10 years. And of course, this is largely due to a 2011 annexation, but it all counts. So congratulations to Pelzer. And those dog days of summer have brought additional meaning now because Pauls need your help. They are overpopulated, something that happens every summer, but it's a lot more acute this year due to animals being adopted during the pandemic that are now being turned in. Dr. Kim Sanders, who runs the Pauls and has done a great job out there, said there are a few ways that the public can help. Yep, I mean, it's uh, the, the biggest need we have right now is really for foster homes um, to, to move these dogs out of the shelter. You know, it's a... Uh, we, we plead for a lot of different things, but right now it's really just foster homes to, to make space and to you know, make it a little less difficult on my staff right now and to get some of those stressed dogs out of the facility um, and, and you know, find, them, find them adopters as well. So that, that's really the biggest push that we have right now. You know, obviously adopters, but a lot of times if we can get people to foster them, then they can help with that next step of finding them as an adopter as well. So. You know, that's really a, a huge need. Well, it's been a real roller coaster year from having an empty shelter to now having a completely <laughs> full shelter. <laughs> it hurts that much worse, right? You know, to know how it can be um, versus summertime in the animal shelter. You know, it's, it's summer is notoriously the hardest time of year in any shelter. Um, and the amount of requests that we get for people to turn in their animals just on a daily basis in the summer is overwhelming. I mean, it is just mind-blowing how many emails we get from people all day long trying to, to you know, dump their animals or, or surrender their animals. That's, er- uh, that's every summer? It's heartbreaking. Yeah, summers are always the worst. Um, hmm. I think this one feels worse, plus there's a, you know, staffing is a, is a real problem now due to COVID, so I think that makes it a lot harder. Um, 
a I think you know people got kind of spoiled from being you know having split schedules due to COVID so they would, would work a week off a week you know so everybody's kind of back full force and and then it's really crowded so you know it just makes it that much harder you know and then obviously we're still short staff too so um but for really, people, really stressful for my staff. I guess for people who've been thinking about a dog or even a cat, this is a pretty good time to have a nice pick, huh? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, we've you know kittens, cats, um, you name it, we've got it. <laughs> right. And remind people what your hours are again, real quick, so people know. Um, we are closed Wednesday and Sunday, and the rest of the week it is um, noon to five. For adoptions, you do not need an appointment. Um, you know, just just come on down. All adoptions are free right now, um, and you know, every foster is provided anything that they could possibly need. Uh, they're provided food, crates, um, you know, what, whatever they may need in order to, to care for that animal um, while they have it. As I said, it has been a roller coaster ride for Paws this year. Um, at one point, they had no animals to adopt, and now they're overpopulated again. It's par for the course, I guess. But uh, Dr. Kim Sanders and her crew out there have done a tremendous job, and they're a model that people from all over the country come to look at for no kill shelters. There's some other news uh, long delayed progress on the Lake Hartwell Development Group. So, uh, the shores at Asbury may finally be back on track. Um, is it the former Corps of Engineers lake site out there at Asbury? If you haven't been out there, then you have missed it. it is a muddy mess at the site. And there have been more than 1,200 trees removed, and it's hard to imagine that uh, by next summer there will be multiple buildings there, including a restaurant, yurts, RV park, tree houses, floating water park, and all those things were supposed to be up and running by that time. I talked to the Corps of Engineers. I talked to county officials along with DHEC and some folks from EPA, and they've all kept... Uh, a really close watch on construction at the site and regulatory issues and perhaps a bit of inexperience in dealing with these multiple agencies over the months has led to quite a few months of delays meaning it's unlikely there'll be anything open at the park this year. Um, no, nobody I talked to suggested anything other than regulatory delays except for possibly the lack of materials and slowness in shipping to some things. But those things seem to be uh, the major reason there hasn't been any progress out there or as much progress as people had hoped. Understandably, some of the neighbors have expressed impatience with the construction mess and the delays in the opening. But officials say that protocols on federal lands often lead, lead to such issues and delays and it happened out there. And a spokesperson for the shores at, at Asbury uh, tell me that the official grand opening is now set for spring of 2022 and they'll be up and running full blast then. There's another story that came out this week, uh, actually broke today. The South Carolina Ethics Commission is looking for ways to collect fines owed by politicians. Uh, the issue is muddy in some ways since the goal of the Ethics Commission is chiefly to make sure no candidate uses funds raised for campaigning for personal use, which is an excellent check uh, for those who are going to serve to keep them honest. But these fines also catch some in a net that are not acting unethically in any way and not truly violating any sort of ethics. Uh, Anderson County has five politicians, four of whom are ser currently serving and one candidate who never won an election who have fines outstanding. The ones that are serving are all serving in small towns where misuse of funds from campaigning is not an issue since they don't really raise campaign funds to begin with. And local politicians uh, like these folks are guilty of a little more than tardy paperwork. 
but that tardy paperwork can lead to some substantial additional fines because if you miss a deadline, the fines start going to $100 a day. And that adds up pretty quickly for a lot of folks. So they can't appeal. Uh, the move from paper to all online filing fees for compliance has also created problems for some people. But the folks I spoke to locally are all in the process of appealing and clearing up their overdue uh, fines from the Ethics Commission. And I think that they are perhaps unfairly represented in a larger story, which I helped with. It was spearheaded by the Charleston Post Courier. And like I said, the Anderson Observer News and People You Trust also worked on the story. And the investigation was talking about more than $2.9 million in outstanding fines, which the commission has done very little, if anything, to collect. It seems they really need to go after the people who are accused of misuse of funds and perhaps an overhaul in the system, which changes filing procedures for those who don't run, run, run camp, uh, campaign funds, uh, would be a, a nice addition to the South Carolina Legislative Commission. So if you're running for a, a small town office that you weren't going to raise any funds, your filing would be very different than someone who's actually going to run a campaign and have a separate accounts and to uh, raise funds for that campaign. I'd like to see some some reform in that. And there's some other reform going on, if not reform, really an overhaul. The Anderson County Council will provide updates Tuesday night on the new countywide EMS system that goes into effect September 1st. The new system will add uh, additional ambulances, uh, 17, I think, more rapid response vehicles which council says will provide better, more consistent coverage for the entire county. And the new system, of course, replaces the rescue squad approach, which has served the county for many years. Long term, the county says it'll be a huge savings and also be a eliminate turf wars and also provide better service for all the citizens of Anderson County. You can read about it online. You can read about it at the Observer. You can attend uh, the Tuesday night county council meeting if you want more information on that. Some other news really quick this week. The South Carolina Supreme Court accepted Kenny Kern's surrender of her law license to avoid further disciplinary actions. If you remember Kern's alleged involvement with the scheme involving veterans benefits has already brought more than $3 million in restitution penalties for her and her law firm and other parties. Kern, who also represented former Anderson County Minister Joey Preston, has been able to keep the $1.1 million buyout he got in 2008. She was involved in that, and she was also sued in connection with the former Anderson County Councilman Ron Wilson's fraudulent silver investment scheme, and Wilson, who was recently released from prison to a halfway house after spending about half of his 20-year sentence, possibly due to poor health, and so he's out. But this ends a chapter, I hope, in some ugliness in Anderson County, and hopefully we can move ahead from some of these issues. Hopefully they're, they're going to be taken care of now. And then some good news, Anderson County announced a new hydroponics company, which is bringing 50 new jobs to the county on US 29 South, and they'll produce organic herbs and leafy greens. Uh, the new jobs will all pay north of $20 per hour, and the company hopes to be up and running in the second quarter of 2022. And if you're a home gardener, the Anderson County Library is offering free seeds for all fall gardeners. Uh, all you need is a library card, which of course is free, and you can pick up a variety of seeds, including arugula, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, I don't know why anybody would want Brussels sprout seeds, cabbage, collard greens, radish, Swiss chard, and some other things. Uh, the library is doing a good job, and if you want to uh, check them out, and also remember that they're going to close all in-person programming now for a while to try to, you know, curb some of the, the spread of COVID. So um, the libraries will still be open, and they're suggesting people wear masks, but they are curbing the in-person programming there. And if you can sing, the United Way has launched their 2021 Anderson Sings competition to find the best musical talent in the county. The winner of this virtual competition will receive $2,000 and be featured uh, to perform at Celebrate Anderson and at other events. 
So for more information, you can visit the Anderson County United Way's Facebook page and learn more about how you can register if you think you're a great singer. And back to school has many educators and parents on edge as this surge in the virus is now at levels we've not seen since the winter months. And it is back to school time with all public schools, colleges and universities in our area returning to class this week. But sadly, that dark cloud of COVID, the Delta variant is hanging over the beginning of the fall semester and this new virus is spreading very quickly. So the superintendents are worried. Doctors and nurses say that the new variant is hitting quicker and leaving people sicker, especially among the younger people. And as of Friday, the 53 COVID patients were filling beds at AnMed, and that number has been growing steadily. Keep in mind, I think one of the reasons that people, uh, younger people are getting sick quick is because the overwhelming majority of these new cases are among the unvaccinated, and that's leaving health officials and frontline medical workers both frustrated and a bit exhausted. Anderson County has reported 152 new cases and an additional 38 pro probable cases on the last reporting day, which was August 11th, according to DHEC. And those county numbers are triple the number of, which is considered high risk, a high risk area. So Anderson County has triple the numbers needed to be considered a high risk area. Only about one third of Anderson County residents over the age of 12, of course the vaccine is still not approved for those under the age of 13 have received the vaccine, and the largest percentage of those who are fully vaccinated are over the age of 65. A pediatric immunologist at Duke said that schools that would require masks are far less likely to spread the virus, with a less than 1% chance of spreading the virus if all students, teachers, and staff are required to wear masks. And if all the teachers and staff are vaccinated, that might reduce it even further. In Arkansas, where the vaccination rates are similar to those of South Carolina, nearly half of the children between the ages of five and 11 hospitalized with the virus are now on ventilators. So this thing is pretty serious and it's gonna get more serious. And the best strategy, of course, to fight involves combining masks, good ventilation, hygiene, personal distancing, access to testing, and vaccines for everyone who's eligible. And they are widely available. Anyone can get a free vaccine just about anywhere, anytime. So th there's no real excuses. Sadly though, the South Carolina governor, Henry McMaster, not only opposes mandates on masks, which is with the approval of the General Assembly. He's prohibited schools from requiring masks and even threatened their state funding if they oppose him in the matter, which has left school, public teachers, staff, and parents in a tough spot. Their fears have already been realized in some school districts, such as Pickens County, which opened less than a week ago and has already been forced to go to virtual school due to outbreaks of COVID. So going back is going to be a rocky start for schools, especially for teachers, staff, and administrators who are not vaccinated and their families because they are the ones most vulnerable in this. So it's time to get vaccinated. Tri-County Technical College is recommending but not requiring masks for all students, employees and visitors, but it's time for them to kind of reevaluate that as well. Their website says the move is subject to change and I'm hoping they will make that change. Clemson is similarly saying they strongly recommend masks, but stop short of requiring them. Meanwhile, Anderson University, our hometown university, is starting the year off with mask requirements for all students, faculty, staff, and visitors. Uh, the school hopes this move will be temporary, but they are to be applauded for their actions for keeping their campus and the folks there safe, and they're the only uh, higher education institution to do so so far, so we, we really uh, could shout out to Anderson University on that. But with lagging vac vaccination rates, especially among college ages, which has by far the lowest vaccination rate in the state in every category, it's going to be a bumpy and dangerous back to school year. None of these additional changes to education should be necessary. Public schools should require vaccination of all workers and eligible students.
students are already required to get measles, mumps, and rubella vaccine. Um, this has generated almost no pushback over the year from parents or anyone else. So uh, why the sudden opposition to the COVID vaccine is a little bit of a mystery. The polio vaccine I received, I still have the scar on my arm when I was a kid, meant that we don't see anyone walking with those braces and dual canes anymore. Uh, the COVID vaccine has already saved hundreds of thousands of lives, and that's what makes this current surge even more frustrating. And kudos to AnMed Health for now requiring vac vaccines of employees and visitors. I'd like to see nursing homes in the area follow suit, as well as the schools. In the midst of this mess, though, the schools have done what they can to provide as normal an experience to return as possible. In the last Anderson Reserver podcast, News from People You Trust, I talked to superintendents from school districts 2, 4, and 5. This time I interviewed the top leaders at districts 1 and 3. School District 1's Robbie Benneker heads the school's second largest district in the county, and it's also in the fastest growing area of the county. And he talks about those challenges and why he's excited for the year ahead. You're coming into a school year that's unprecedented. You've never had a year like that just gone by in all your years of education because nobody else has either. Um, what are some of the things people can look forward to this year in District 1? Are anything new people are going to notice? or? Well, I think one of the things is we've got a little bit of experience. I mean, we, we've got a, a more than a year's worth of experience now in, in dealing with the pandemic and in dealing with COVID. And um, we, we certainly found some things that have, that have worked. Um, we found some things that have not worked. Um, and and there's, we, we have a little bit more institutional knowledge now um, than we had it at this time last year. There, there was a lot of really good... We believe this is going to be a really good idea. We think this is our path forward, um, but none of us were really sure. Um, we, we've we've gotten some more information now. We've we, we've gotten lots of an, anecdotal evidence from from last year about what worked and what didn't work, um, and, and so we're 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 quite a bit more confident going into this year than than we were going into going into last year. Um, there there. There'll certainly be some changes. Um, we, Did you we, learn some things that'll be helpful going forward? Oh, ab absolutely. You know, one of the things that we learned was the the protocols that we had in place, um, even at the very end of the year, were were really pretty effective at preventing the the spread of the virus. We we had very little spread of the virus within the school. Now we we had. Uh, employees and kids um, who got the virus last year, but but what we didn't see was was there a lot of spread. It it wasn't like one student in in Miss Smith's third grade class got it and all of a sudden five got it. We very rarely did another student got it, uh, get it. Um, and so we feel like the protocols that we had in place worked pretty pretty well. There were some things that we did that, quite frankly, we, we don't feel like mitigated anything. Um, for instance, one of the things we did was was took temperatures of, of the employees and, and the students before they came in, into school. And, and what we found out was that after right out a million temperature takes, we, we, hadn't, we hadn't had a single one of those kids sent home with, with COVID. And so it, that was a lot of work on our schools and, and really didn't produce a lot of results. And so th those are some of the things that we, you know, we didn't do. When we started off last year, nobody could use the playgrounds. Um, and, and we uh, kind of systematically phased the, the playgrounds back in, found out had no issues with, with kids using the, um, using the playgrounds. So th those are the kinds of things that, um, that we really learned last year. Uh, what about structurally from an education? You've been an educator a long time. Were there anything 
that any things that, that arose that y'all learned, hey, we can do this better than we did before the pandemic, we've learned from this. Well, and I think one of the things that, that we learned was how to have a virtual school. We, we learned how to teach kids who weren't physically in, in front of us. Um, we have a very small virtual school this year. Um, uh, only those students who either they, them, they themselves or, or a family member um, has a medical issue that would prevent them from coming to school. But we, we feel like we have a good model with, with our elementary, middle, middle and high school students in, in working through that. So that that's certainly something that, that we learned a lot about um, the number of students will be greatly diminished in in that virtual school this um, th- this year, um, but it, it's it's still available for, um, for for when it's necessary. Do you feel like you've got a good handle on how many students may have gotten lost in the mix? I've talked to other superintendents. You know, there were some students who were already sort of on on the edge of not doing well before the pandemic. Have y'all got kind of a good handle on those kids? We we think we do. Um, and, and as can be expected, there, there were there were more of our virtual school students who who struggle than than our face to face students, and and that's that's just to be expected. Um, we we certainly had some virtual school students who did exceptionally well, um, and um, and of course we had some face to face students who struggle at, as as they usually did, but. Um, we feel like the individual schools have, have a good handle on which one of those students um, got a little bit behind, which one's got got a lot behind. Um, many of those students were invited and attended summer school, which which we believe well, we had a very intensive summer school program this year um, that we feel like would was going to be really helpful for those students. And then, of course, going into this school year, we, we have a lot of intervention plan because we know they're going to be some some gaps that um, uh, some some learning concepts and and ideas that the kids just didn't get last year and of course all the way into March of, of the year before that uh, so we we feel like we've got a got a good plan of of being able to to provide kids with some some really good instructional resources but also provide some intervention for those students who who may need some some additional work um, in the in the coming years you got kids coming back, teachers coming back, some new teachers and all. Are, are there any physical things they're going to notice different this year? Or you got new buildings, new programs, new things that people are going to notice? All right. Well, we we certainly have some some new buildings. Um, uh, Palmetto Middle School, Wren Middle School um, are both. Um, Palmetto Middle School is is almost complete now, so we'll we'll have a complete building um, for for those students. Uh, Wren Middle will be starting phase three, so all of their building is complete, with the exception of the uh, of the related arts wing. Is it will will be finished by you know, January February um, sometime. We have a number of schools: Powdersville High School, Powdersville Middle School, Spearman, Cedar Grove, uh, have all received uh, eight to ten room additions, and and all of those were actually utilized uh, at least by the end of end of last school year. Um, our biggest um, uh, changes this summer will be at Palmetto Elementary um, and 
Wren Elementary, both uh, essentially the entire HVAC system has been replaced in in those two schools, along with the um, with the fire alarm and some of the related uh, mechanical systems. And then Palmetto High and Wren High um, both got major renovations um, were were um, done and will be continuing, particularly at Palmetto through about October. So um, at Palmetto, um, those of you that, that have been in Palmetto know that Palmetto High School that the, the front office was actually located in the middle of the school, not in the front of the school. Uh, so we've moved the front office now to the front of the school and that will be, um, that'll be open, ready to go when school starts. There'll, there'll still be some classroom work that'll be done for a couple of months at, uh, at Palmetto High, but both Palmetto High and Wren High will have secure vestibules, which neither have, have had prior to this, uh, prior to this summer. So all of our schools will now have um, will now have secure vestibules. And y'all are facing a really phenomenal challenge of growth that's coming here, that that's already come and that's on the horizon. How are y'all planning for that? I mean, it's hard to plan when they, you're, you pick up the paper and somebody says you're gonna have 400 new houses, 500 new houses. It, it, it really is. It, it is a daily challenge. Um, we work with our local elected officials. Um, they, they keep us informed. Uh, they invite us to meetings with, with um, uh, those folks that are, that are in development so that really just everybody understands what the challenges are for, for our district. Um, the, the, there are clearly some challenges for a growing district like ours. Um, um, hiring the additional teachers is, is certainly one challenge in and of itself. Um, uh, the the pool of teachers is is certainly way down from say ten years ago, and um, re recruiting quality employees, whether that be teachers or bus drivers, custodians, uh, student nutrition service, um, it is really uh, it's difficult. It's it's very difficult uh, these days. And then, then you have the added uh, issues of space. Where are you going to put that additional 50 kids at this school or 25 kids at, at, at this school? Um, and it is, it, it's an issue that we, we really struggle with daily as to, to how we keep up with the growth as far as our, our, our capacity to be able to, to house students as well as the employees to be able to teach them. You know, one of the big issues pre-pandemic, everybody talked about almost daily was security. Uh, how is this, is that kind of back on everybody's, you reevaluating all your security now that everybody's coming back and everybody's on, on campus again? It, it, it is, but for us, and I think for the majority of districts around us, they, most of the students were, were back um, last year. So, you know, whether that be you know, 80, 85, 90% of the, the students were back last year. I don't know that any of us ever got away from the safety measures that, that we that we had in place. And um, certainly um, some of our time, a lot of our time was devoted to how do we deal with the protocols with the pandemic. Um, I'm not sure that our safety features really ever went away last year. One of the things that is returning in full force will be extracurricular activities, all sports, and, you, and the teachers and coaches involved in that. I know they're really itching to get back to that. Uh, talk to me a little bit about the, how important those things are to your student uh, athletes and your students who are just involved in other activities. Absolutely, and, and extracurricular activities are really vital to, to our students. It, it is a place to belong as well as some phenomenal um, 
uh, leadership activities that that things like uh, sports and band and, and music and ROTC and, and the like actually um, actually gives our, our students. And for, for the most part, our our sports program, we, we ran a full sports program last year. Um, uh, in the fall, the, um, the the spectators were, were diminished quite a, quite a bit, um, and there were there were a number of practice regulations that um, were just there were just protocols that coaches and, and players had really never had to had to deal with before. Uh, but they they really handled those. I mean, I would even say flawlessly. Um, we we did not have um, a, an awful lot of of outbreaks among our uh, among our athletes certainly no more than than in the in the general population of students so we we feel really good about going into with with our extracurricular activities um, we started uh, some of our uh, club activities probably mid-year last year obviously there were there were lots of protocols that were in place but um, th those clubs are really important to our students and so we brought them back as quick as we possibly uh, possibly can um, we we feel like extracurricular wise we we're going to have as as close to a normal a year as we possibly can or at least that's our plan to begin with and we'll we'll just we'll see what the data shows and um, see if we need to make any changes now, how good are your sports teams this year? How, how are they going? I think we're going to be just fine. We we got some we got some great athletes and great coaches, so um, I'm excited to watch them. Well, now behind the scenes, you and your board and your your team is working. What sorts of things do y'all have envisioned for this year? Y'all have any strategic plans? Anything you want to talk to the public about? Sure. Well, and 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 I think one of the things that that's going to be really important to us during during this first semester is we we have a Cognia visit. Cognia is the accrediting agency um, for South Carolina schools. So that that's a really important process for us to go through to to, to really take a deep dive into into the data, into the processes, to the culture, to our mission, um, and to really evaluate all of those at a, at a really deep level. Uh, so that will that that'll be something that'll that'll take place throughout the entire uh, fall. Um, we'll have our visit uh, from the Cogni. It'll actually be a virtual visit from from them. Um, but they'll they'll come and evaluate our our systems and test scores and and the like. So that that'll be really important for us. One of the things that we started a few years back that um, COVID really kind of kind of put a pause or, or at least was was certainly a pretty big bump in the road for us was our professional learning communities and every school has um, uh, a professional learning community where essentially teachers are working together um, to to figure out what what is it that's that's absolutely essential that that kids know um, how we're going to assess it how we're going to know when kids know those those essential standards and then what are, what are we going to do when they don't get it and then what are we going to do when they already have it well you know what what kind of enrichment activities and um, we feel like that's the vehicle on which we're going to really be able to move the the, the district forward um, we have got some phenomenal educators out there um, and and I may be great at fractions but I'm I'm not as good. I, I I'm not. I don't do quite as good a job with the geometry concepts. Um, but 
we got some educators out there that are great with that geometry concept. And so with them being able to work together and help each other um, and then to collectively say, these are all our kids, not just the 24 in my classroom, but all the third graders in this school are my kids. And, and part of my responsibility is to help not only educate the 24 in my classroom, but the 24 in the other three or four sections in, in the school as, as well. So we'll, we'll really be um, kind of getting back on the, the PLC, the professional learning community um, train and, and, and um, really trying to up our game with, um, uh, through that process. How, how do your teachers and even the front office, how do y'all communicate? How important is y'all's communication? How do y'all communicate with parents and students? Well, communication's vital. I mean, parents need communication, and, and in today's world, people expect pretty instant access to, to information. Um, we, we use a variety of, uh, of sources. We find that, that some people prefer um, a text, some people prefer a phone call, some, uh, some people prefer an email. Um, we, we have some uh, apps um, that, that we use, the Remind app and Seesaw, and there, there's, some, there, there's some additional um, technology that, that schools, uh, schools utilize it as well. Um, and, and so we, we feel like, and, and, and our district actually sends out a, a fairly regular uh, memo uh, to our parents and to our employees, um, trying our best to make sure that everybody's on the same page. Um, so much information, so much changes so quickly. Um, it, it's, it's, it's important to try to get that out as, as soon as we get it. And, and social media is a, a big, a, it's a big part of that. And, and people use social media. Um, it, it's kind of a part of a lot of people's lives now. And so we, we try to, we try to be a, a really, uh, really positive presence on, on social media and, and provide some, um, some updated information on there as well. Do individual teachers have websites for all their classes or... They, they do. Each individual teacher has has a website, and um, and we we use the the Google Classrooms and and uh, the elementary schools use Seesaw, which is which is similar, just just an elementary version, where uh, a parent or a student could could go to those sites to see what the lessons were that day, and um, uh, to to see. Um, uh, examples or maybe videos of what was what, what was done in class. So that that's been a that's been a change in the past four or five years that I think has has really been beneficial uh, to our um, to our students and, and to our families, our parents as well, because it's uh, it's this place they know they can go to to get the information that that they're probably looking for academically speaking. And because of some of the protocols last year, it was not quite as easy for parents just to show up and come and visit and do things. Um, remind parents how important those relationships with their teachers are. Yeah, ab absolutely. And, and last year, we, we had very few conferences one-on-one -on -one with, within the school. But that didn't mean we weren't communicating with parents and parents weren't, weren't communicating with us. And, and it's it's vital. It's really important that, that a parent knows what's going on in the classroom um, and for the teacher to reach out to the parent, the parent te uh, to reach out to the, to the um, uh, 
uh, to the teacher, particularly when there appears to be that, that there's an issue. Um, going on. Um, and of course, when, when things are going really well, that's a great time to reach out as well. You know, really enjoy having having Johnny in class. Let, let, me, let me tell you a story about what happened today. You know, I was really proud of him for, you know, what, what, whatever. Um, so it, it is absolutely essential um, that, that the school do a good job of communicating with parents and vice versa. Well, I I, I think one of the things that we that we are really fortunate is is the community that we that we live and work in. Um, we have phenomenal employees. We have great kids, and we got great community members and, and, and parents. And we we made some mistakes last year. We we did some things that that we, you know, a couple of months later said that wasn't very helpful. Um, and we didn't do some things that maybe we, we should have put in place, but we, we got an awful lot of grace from our, from our employees and, and from our, our parents and our community as, as well. Um, that was really appreciated. It, it was appreciated that we, we didn't get a lot of emails that said, you know, y'all are a bunch of idiots and, um, you know, y'all don't know what you're doing. It was like, hey, I, I know this is difficult. We we appreciate the fact that that y'all looked at this and saw that this wasn't working and and, and made a change. And um, we we feel like overall we made some really good decisions last year. We got some great input from the community. From our, um, we, we have a medical task force that that looks at a lot of our protocols. We think they made some just spot on decisions. Um, that that helped us make some some really good um, put some things into the system that that really helped. Um, so I, I am very appreciative of where I am. Um, our board is phenomenal. Um, they are incredibly supportive, very thoughtful group of of folks. Um, they want what's best for our kids and and our employees. Um, they they want us to be. Um, that they want our taxpayers to get a really good bang for the buck, and and they they do a phenomenal job um, of making sure that that we keep what's important in front of us all the time. So um, we're fortunate from from our board to our uh, to our community and parents and our employees and and kids. We're we're just really fortunate. You know, one note I wanted to add here that I didn't mention last week. I've covered education on and off in Anderson County since the '80s. And this may be one of the few times I can honestly say we have got five quality individuals at the same time uh, leading our schools as superintendents. And it, it's a good thing to say. We've had a lot of great superintendents over the years, don't get me wrong. I'm not being critical of that. I'm just saying we have five leaders now that really have a heart for, I hear them talking about the kids and the students, and really have a heart for the schools. And that's really good to see. And another one of those is Anderson School District Number 3 Superintendent, Kathy Hip who was recently named the Superintendent of the Year for South Carolina, which is quite an honor. And she says her district is as ready as possible for the 2021-2022 school year. Kathy, you have been involved in this district in one way or another for a long time. Tell people how, how deep your roots are in this district. I grew up in Anderson School District 3. I went to Ivy Elementary School as a student and then Star Iva Middle School and then I'm a 1984 Crescent graduate. So. I'm, I'm from here, it's my home. Then I went to Erskine College and then I came back right after Erskine College and became a teacher at Crescent High School. And that was in 1988. 
I've just finished my 33rd year in education and all but one have been in this district. So I've been a part of this district a long time and that, I think that's where my passion for the district comes from because it's my home, it's where I've put, it's where I feel called to work, called to make a difference and that's what drives me to come to work every day and uh, makes every day fulfilling. And how how is, is that experience and being here for so long, I mean, large majority of your adult life, how does that inform how you serve as superintendent and decisions you make knowing everybody and knowing the community? Well, I think it's uh, a blessing and a curse at the same time. It's a blessing because you, you know people in the community, you respect people in the community, they respect you. Um, the hard part sometimes is that everybody has an idea of decisions that should be made and things like that. And quite often there's information that can't be shared because it's confidential that goes into making a decision. So if someone disagrees with it, you can't say, well, this is really why we can't do it this way or that way. But what I've found, so much in education goes back to relationship. It goes to relationship with students. And in my role as superintendent, it really goes to relationship in the community. People know if you care about something, they know if you care about people. It's hard to fake it. And so I think just building a relationship with people helps them trust you. And so they can give you an opinion. And if you have to not do what they ask or go a different direction, I think because they trust you and they know your heart, they're okay with what you're doing. Um, and they still feel validated because you listened. And so it's kind of a great blend I've also, from having been here so long, I have to sometimes catch myself and say, well, we've always done it this way. Well, there's, there's times to change things too. It's, it's good to have that history to go fall back on, but it's also we're constantly moving forward and we ha constantly have to change and do things differently. So it's a, it's, a, it's a great thing, but it's also something we have to, I have to watch, especially because I don't want to just do something because that's the way we've always done it. If that's the best way to do it and it's still relevant, then we'll move with it. But there's times that things need to change, and I definitely have to be open to those changes too. And lots of times that just means changing me and listening to other people in the conversation. And that's why in our district I talk a lot about team because we're all better when everybody's thoughts become a part of the process. And any success we have really comes because everybody's bought into what we're doing, everybody's giving thoughts, uh, putting ideas together to make things better. Well, we've obviously just come out of the most unprecedented year in public education history. How are y'all planning to bring everybody back in and, and kind of pick up where you left off really when everybody went home a couple of years ago? Well, last year we were fairly successful reopening our buildings. I mean, we managed to stay open face-to-face -face all year. We had to use a lot of flexibility last year. And so this year in my mind is kind of a reset year. And when we reset, we don't just go back to how things were. We go to how things were, but what did we learn that makes us better? What do we need to do differently to be more effective? And so as we come back into our classrooms, we're going to have to tighten up some things, I think, that we had to loosen up last year. Um, some things with attendance and some things with um, being a little more flexible maybe in grading. Now, that doesn't mean that we're still not going to adjust to do what's best for children, but I, I keep telling our, our staff, we're going back to our new normal. The expectations we had before, um, 
expecting excellence and we, we can't use COVID as an excuse anymore. Um, last year we had to do a lot of things to get through it and, and we did and we, we did it great. But now we've got to move on, move back to what we know is our task as far as student outcomes and meeting the needs of the whole student. And so we'll still keep those guidelines we had in place to keep everybody safe, but it's going to be more of a laser focus back on academic excellence too. How did it affect and, and how will it reboot and, and like you're saying, reset the hands-on stuff? I know you have a very active FFA program. A lot of the extracurricular activity stuff was kind of paused and put on hold, even though you were back in the classroom to a large degree. How, how are y'all resetting all that? Well, hopefully, of course, with, with sports, the state kind of mandated how sports went. With some of our FFA competitions and such, many of those were canceled. And so... I'm looking forward to more of those things being available for students to do. It was the same with band and chorus. Those competitions were put on hold last year. And so having the opportunity to do it again is what I think will be great for students because quite honestly, they couldn't have gone if they wanted to. Now I think we'll have the opportunity to do it. There'll probably be more controls in place but those students will be able to go, go out and do those things. We were able, especially at the end of the year, to allow our beta club to go to the national convention in Florida and compete. And some of our SGA officers later in the year were able to go compete. So really it's the opportunities reopening that we can allow students to go to. And once that happens, then we'll look at the parameters we need to put on. There, there may be fewer competitions that they go to than in the past, but being able to move off campus and actually do those activities will be a great start. And some of your, uh, your sports teams still did really, really well. Yes, our, our wrestling team won the state championship. Our baseball team won the upper state championship. Um, no, actually, they won the district championship. We lost in the upper state, but still had a, a very banner year there. Our softball team won the region. is actually the 34th region championship in a row. So we still had a lot of success with sports. Anglers, your fishing? Our, our fishing team in national competitions, our skeet shooting team in national competitions. And so our kids were still able to excel even in tough conditions. And what we wanted to do is allow them every opportunity possible to compete as long as there were safety parameters in place that we knew they were safe doing it health-wise and that we could justify sending the students out. Uh, are there any changes that students or teachers or anybody will notice? Have y'all done any updates, upgrades over the summer or anything people will notice coming back? With a shortened summer, we haven't done a whole lot. We are hopefully on the end of finishing our track project. Uh, weather has held us up a lot there this year, but this week they should be laying sod on the infield of the track area, which will, will function also as a practice field. And so in the next month or so, the track project should be totally completed. And that's one of our penny sales tax projects that we've, we've had it on the list. And from there, our next project we'll start looking at is when can we begin the upgrades to the football stadium. So... With a shorter summer, we didn't do a lot of upgrades in buildings other than basic maintenance that had to be done. But with some of our CARES Act money, I think in the future we'll be able to upgrade some air handling systems at the middle school, upgrade some roofing areas that 
badly need to be replaced and do some more air quality type stuff. So we do have some plans in place, especially with those funds in our buildings. We've done some painting and stuff to make the interiors look better, but the bigger, bigger projects that take more time, we've had to put on hold. What about broadband in your district? You've got the biggest district square mileage wise, I think. And mm -hmm. uh, I know broadband's probably spotty in some places. Are y'all working with the government agencies to try to get that? Yeah, we've been working with Anderson County on some of the grant funds that they're trying to get to enhance broadband. We've worked with Western Carolina because in our district, it's not an issue of whether parents are willing to pay for it. It's just that the broadband's not there. They, they don't run it to their house. And so getting that capability to every household in our district it is a goal that we have. And so I hope with the partnerships that we have with Anderson County and, and with some of the State CARES Act money, that that can be a countywide and a statewide initiative to get broadband to every household, regardless of where it's at. I mean, the problem, you know, is in a rural community, they don't want to run broadband to two houses in 10 square miles. I mean, it's just not cost effective unless grant money comes in. But that's probably a big barrier we've had to overcome because we, we did some things with hotspots and things like that that helped with our accessibility. But still, that's as good as your Verizon or AT&T connection too. And some of those places are spotty. So broadband is something statewide and community-wide that really needs to be enhanced. That's the next piece to the puzzle of getting all of our students where they need to be with technology. Are there any things that you and the board have identified as part of your strategic plan for the year ahead that we haven't talked about? Or? I think we're really looking at building needs in our district within the next 10 years. Uh, we have some things that we need to do to finish the football project, like moving the bus lot and some things like that. We have at least one school, Star Iva, that we, we need to look at replacing in some form in the next five to ten years. So that's really our strategic plan is what can we do to, to meet those building needs. Our technology department and our bus office itself, we need to move to our centralized office. So just looking at in the next five years to ten years, what can we do to really put ourselves in a better position? Um, I'm also, maybe this is optimistic, but I'm expecting some growth in our district. I think it just seems that the population is pushing down some in Anderson County, and with growth comes building needs too. So I'm hoping we're getting ready for that perfect storm that we need to replace some buildings because of age, but also hopefully in the next five to 10 years, we're going to grow enough that we outgrow some buildings too. Um, that sounds like a problem, but to me, that's a great problem to have. How is the partnership, now we've had a little bit of time to, to evaluate, how's the partnership with Anderson Institute of Technology working out with the district? AIT, we're, we're looking forward to a quote-unquote normal year with AIT. We, first year we opened it, we closed in March because of COVID. Last year we had to make a lot of accommodations because of COVID, but, but actually we had a great year with AIT. So... We're looking forward to next year being our first normal year, but what I'll say is I think every year we get better or have gotten better on our plan of how three districts work together to operate a career center, of what programs are really needed in that career center. We're, we're talking about now looking at adding culinary 
to, to AIT, that serves as not only a program for kids to complete, but it's also a, a way to do some hospitality type things in-house. And there, there's a need there. So we're always, lo always looking at expanding it to relevant programs. So I think the partnership has gotten better and also enrollment has gone up. And that's really the piece that I think the, act, the circumstances of the last two years, I think, have, have not given us a true idea of what enrollment's going to look like at AIT just because it hasn't grown as quickly in the first two years as we expected. But based on the numbers we have signed up, we're seeing an increase from our district, and I think the other two districts are too. So I th it's only going to get better in time. It's just building something ground up takes a little bit of time anyway, and we've had some obstacles to overcome. But we have a good staff there that have the right ideas of what we need to do. And so the, the communication piece is getting better among the schools, and, and I look forward to it being just a shining star for all of us. I think District 3 is the only school district to have its own app, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, how has that worked out for y'all over the last few years? You, get, you got it out at the right time, that's for sure. Right. I, the district app has been a game changer for us. And really, you go back, I hate to go back to COVID, but had we not had that in place communication-wise, it would have been much more difficult to do what we needed to do because with that app, not only can we constantly post stuff and keep the information on our websites up to date, with one click, we can post to our website, our social media pages, we can send a text, we can send an email. And so it just makes it easy for real-time communication. And where the app helps a lot is because it's we talk about broadband issues. I may not have good internet at my house, but most people have a cell phone. And they have apps on that cell phone, and so they can click on the app, or I can click on the app, and there's real-time information right there. And it's been great for us, especially when we've needed to survey parents about things and get quick numbers on things. We can send out a survey through that app. Parents can do it on their phone. And our return rate on surveys in the last year has been phenomenal in comparison. And I think it's because it's just an easy way to do it. Uh, I highly recommend an app for our district because I think it's helped us communication-wise. And like I say, a real challenge we had had up until that point is keeping our web websites relevant and timely. It's, I mean, it's just time-consuming. That became a part of our app. And so it just was a seamless way to communicate everything at one time. Do teachers use that? I'm just curious. Or do they have their own... Well, class. How, how does your, how does the communication on technology go with classrooms? Lots of teachers will have their own classroom page, or they'll they'll use another text-based app. But they can, and really, the biggest place that happens is through our Facebook and Instagram. They each at each school, people have the capacity to go into the platform is called Thrillshare to go into Thrillshare and put up their own stuff, and so it does give them ease to to get it timely out there much quicker than if they have to wait for somebody from the district office to come take pictures or whatever. So it's helped each school level to be able to put out their information quicker. And uh, you are now the state superintendent of the year. Uh, were you surprised by winning that award? I was surprised. I was very excited, but also surprised. Anytime you're from a small rural district and you can win a state award, it's, it's big for your district, and that's what makes me so excited about it. it. It's not really about me. 
It's about what we're doing in Anderson School District 3. Because in the application process, I talked about what we're doing in Anderson School District 3. And it's a way just to highlight that everybody on our staff, everybody in our, on our team makes a difference. And when we all pull together, we can do great things. Um, it's not about how much money you have. It's not about your facilities. It's not about any resource you can talk about other than people. When people come together around a common cause and they do the right thing, good things happen for students. That's why I'm excited about the award because it says to our state and to our, our county, look, we're doing great things here. You don't have to be in Columbia or Charleston or Greenville to have a great school district. And you don't have to have a lot of money. You just have to put a plan in place. But at the end of the day, you have to care about children. You have to have everything you do focused on that child in the classroom. And if everybody's focusing on that, then you'll have a great outcome. And that, that's what makes me so excited about the award is it, it brings attention. And as I talk to people around the state, it's just something that really highlights rural school districts. And, and those are the superintendents that have reached out to me the most and said, I'm so excited for you because it says that we can still do great things, even though we don't have the size and the wealth of some other places. And so um, we're just constantly about telling the wonderful things going on in Anderson School District 3. And that's why I'm proud that, to have the honor. I think sometimes people forget, you were talking about the people who re reached out to you, that in the smaller school districts, the superintendent sometimes is a lot more hands-on having to be at plays and all the sporting things, and you're expected to do a whole lot more because everybody knows you in a smaller district. Mm, right, right. That you're, you're also much more accessible in a smaller district. I mean, in larger districts, it, it could take weeks to talk to the superintendent. Here, I'm at the front door, and so it doesn't mean I'm totally accessible, but your chances of seeing me are me responding to you much quicker. It happens for a lot of reasons. One, I hope it's the type of person I am, but two, it's because I know the community. I also know the, the inner workings of the district a little bit more because I've had to do a lot of them. Uh, if you ask for the personnel manager in Anderson School District 3, it's the superintendent. And so my hands are in that too. I can answer those questions because I'm a part of it. I actually enjoy that because I, I like knowing the people. I, know, I like knowing who's working for us. But that's, that's the world of a, a small school district. You don't... You've got a few people who wear all the hats, and that's what I love about it. That's, that's why I'll always be a small school district person. As we begin this school year, I'm, I'm hopeful, that, and I'm not ready to, to say this in stone yet, that, that we'll be able to open our schools more to parents and the community than we were able to last year. Basically, last year, we had to keep just about everybody out from a health issue, and so that meant no grandparents' lunches, and uh, awards days were done very differently, concerts were done very differently, and so it's my goal this year that, that we'll be able to, for lack of a better word, welcome the community and the, the families back into the schools because that's really what makes it special, is not that you have to watch a live feed of what's going on with awards day, but that you're able to sit there with your child or in the same, same room. So as we reopen schools, uh, I tell people, I want us to be as normal as possible. And that means allowing 
allowing our families back into schools, allowing, we, we have a great Michelin mentors program. We have a great reading buddies program that some of those people have not been able to come in as much. And so we're hopeful as we begin the new school year to, to restart some of those things because those are some other things that make such a small school district so special is getting the community involved in what we're doing. And so as we begin this year, I'm, I'm excited about going back to a new normal, as I've told you before. I'm excited about getting back to the business of educating students the way we know to educate students and not just having to worry about safety protocols. And now we're constantly going to worry about keeping students safe because that's the foundation. That's where it starts. If students aren't safe, then they can't learn. So we're not getting rid of that, but we're going to learn how to operate schools around that again. And so as we move into the school year, I'm very hopeful that, that what we consider to be normal is returning. And not just normal, but better. Because we have learned some things that will help us uh, when students have to be out for long-term times, we'll be able to do more things virtually with them to keep them in class. But we're also not going back to a total virtual program for anybody um, unless things just happen that we have no control of. Because we're here to be face-to-face, -face. we're here to build relationships and work with students and parents and families uh, to make our Star Iva community the best it can be. Galen DeHay is starting his third year as president of Tri-County Technical College and he said there has never been a more affordable time and a better time for traditional and non-traditional students to attend tech because of all the funds that are available. Some due to the pandemic, some due to other education sources. And here's what he had to say about the year ahead. All right, this is your, is this your third full year as president? It's a, I just started my third year this uh, July 1st. And you were, you just also were named the executive of the year for the state, right? Yes, I was very surprised by that honor, but it was a wonderful honor from the South Carolina Association of Technical College Commissioners. They voted this uh, past uh, session that I was the CEO of the year for the state technical college system. Well, what's new coming up this year? Let's start there. What's new coming up at Tri-County Technical College this year? So we've got a lot of great things going on, in particular related to workforce. Uh, we've been doing a few, uh, huh, there you go. Okay, let's start, start. We've sure. got a lot of great things yep. going on. Okay. So we've got a lot of great things going on as it relates to the workforce. Uh, a couple of things to feature. One is, of course, the governor who was up at our Anderson campus just this past month uh, announced that he was providing access to some funding, uh, gear funding, uh, governor's allocation of funds, uh, and that is providing free tuition, books, fees, uh, for a variety of programs that are short-term workforce training programs. So we're able to offer that to our community at no cost. It is just a great thing. And we've learned that he is providing additional funding to make that program possible to continue on at least for another year. What kind of programs are those? So these are programs that provide direct entry into the workforce in advanced manufacturing, healthcare, and information technology. So programs like operator training, computer numerical controls, uh, operator training, uh, uh, South Carolina manufacturing certification, uh, CNA or certified nursing assistant, uh, pharmacy technician, programs such as that. 
And there's a, obviously there's a high demand in those areas. Correct. There are high demand and uh, family sustaining wage programs. So these programs really are focused on local workforce needs that help families uh, move from where they are to a better life. Any other new programs starting this year? Yes, we are starting up our criminal justice, uh, our new criminal justice program. That program starts this uh, August. It is a uh, police academy certificate program. So it was developed in collaboration with the uh, Criminal Justice Academy from the state of South Carolina. Uh, Tri-County was one of the leaders in creating this certificate program. Dr. McFarland and his staff and our Criminal Justice Technology Program. Uh, so this is a one semester certificate. It uh, prepares individuals for entry directly into the Criminal Justice Academy and after they complete that directly into the workforce. And the great thing is we've been able to partner with areas like Anderson County Sheriff, City of Clemson, and they are going to provide individuals into this program, and uh, they can send students back uh, to Tri-County to earn the associate's degree. So it's laddered for continued or lifelong learning. And y'all have a, a cooperative effort with uh, Anderson University, right? We do. To do friendly law enforcement. Like we that. do. So those individuals can continue on after the associate's degree and get their bachelor's degree and even their master's degree. So uh, the sky is the limit for students. Anything else new that people might not know about? Uh, we have a number of apprenticeship programs that have uh, spun up in our area, and we're looking for partners there. Uh, youth apprenticeship programs are beginning uh, as well. We've got a number of great uh, youth apprenticeship programs, for example, with Arthrex. Uh, youth apprenticeships are a collaboration with our local school districts uh, and our career centers and uh, business or industry in our area and Tri-County. So in this uh, way, we're creating a workforce pipeline or a youth workforce pipeline that is really sustainable. So for example, the one with Arthrex is with our computer numerical controls program. So our school districts are providing uh, students uh, through the career centers. So they're finishing up their high school career. They're enrolled at Tri-County in the CNC operations program in the first certificate and they're working at the, at the uh, location at Arthrex. So they're learning workplace skills while they're in school. They'll be able to finish up uh, that youth apprenticeship program. And we actually have one of those students who has moved on directly now into an adult apprenticeship program. And she is about to graduate with her two-year associate's degree. And then it will become a full-time member of the Arthrex uh, staff. So uh, great opportunities there. I believe she's 19 years old and working on buying a house. And this apprenticeship thing is sort of a national trend. People are moving towards this apprenticeship idea, right? It is, and it's something that we continue to grow at Tri-County, both adult apprenticeships and youth apprenticeships. So we're in a regional consortium for youth apprenticeships across the upstate, and we're uh, working to identify even more partners in manufacturing and healthcare, as well as IT. Uh, those are high-growth, high-demand, high-wage jobs, and we want to make sure that youth have clear structured pathways from high school into post-secondary education in partnership with the workforce. So there's no chance for those individuals to get lost along the way. And you mentioned Arthrex. One of the chief components of recruiting Arthrex here was cooperative efforts with Tri-County Tech. And 
the programs y'all provide there. How is that partnership going? So that partnership continues to grow. We actually just uh, had a tour with our board at Arthrex just uh, two weeks ago now, uh, looking at the effects of that growth. So Arthrex continues to grow, and we're a critical partner in their workforce uh, development process. We built a workforce training center almost diagonally across the street from Arthrex where a lot of their training occurs. Uh, we've got equipment that matches their equipment so that our programs are aligned with what their needs are uh, located in that facility as well. So that partnership continues to grow as they begin to add different types of jobs. And these kind of targeted partnerships seem to be really baked into the future of education and technical education, correct? Correct. I really do see that as, a, as the future of technical education. Uh, structured, very clear partnerships that are focused on collaborative efforts. Collaborative efforts between community partners or school districts at the industry and Tri-County really is the hub of that. I see Tri-County as a solutions provider or a solutions accelerator for workforce uh, development uh, opportunities throughout our area. And what programs do your graduates, are they most in demand? What are the most in demand graduates coming out right now? So right now, in demand uh, areas are, of course, multi-skill technician programs. Those are mechatronics, industrial electronics technology, CNC, uh, HVAC, we can't turn out enough. We have a large enrollment in those programs and in combination of our multi-skill technician programs. We continue to focus on their growth with technical career pathways with our school districts and our, our career centers. We're actually adding a HVAC pathway with one of our career centers that where they don't have a HVAC program. So we're gonna help uh, operate a brand new HVAC pathway. Now, sometimes I'm going to ask you, how, how do y'all partner with the local career centers in terms of helping kids that can maybe uh, save some time and begin to earn credits early and those kind of things? Absolutely. We, when you, most people think of dual enrollment. They think of general education for individuals that are going to go to Clemson or Anderson University or someplace that, as that. And we do offer that opportunity. But as of late, we've offered dual enrollment opportunities into our technical programs. And we branded those technical career pathways. So they are clear pathways between the career centers and Tri-County, and they're often matched up with a local workforce provider as well. So we've got technical career pathways in mechatronics. We've got them in uh, industrial electronics, HVAC, CNC. We're developing new ones that start this fall in, in information technology. And we've got a couple more that are in development as well. And all of those are matched with the programs at the career centers. So we're able to help the career centers get more completers, and we're able to get those students at least a year off of a two-year degree so that literally by 19 years old, they've got their two-year degree, they're able to finish that at no cost to them, and they've got direct entry into the workforce. And you've mentioned the cost thing several times. Uh, there continues seems to be a lot of uh, uh, financial aid available to people who do enter the technical system, correct? Correct. We've got so many opportunities to remove the cost barrier for our students. Uh, we know that cost is just one barrier, and we've done a lot of work as of late with local and uh, state government uh, to make sure that, that cost 
is not a barrier, particularly for our students and their families that are most in need. The great thing that we've also been able to do is add more wraparound services for students, in particular adults that are trying to return or switch uh, the type of work that they're doing. So new grants that provide childcare. Uh, so we're able, to, uh, we're able to provide child care to up to 100 of our students at little to no cost. We work to, provide pro to find providers for them so that they're able to locate a provider, go to school, go to school at no cost, and complete. Those are the types of things we're doing to make sure that college can fit into their complex lives. Will students coming on campus notice any new construction, uh, renovations, anything coming in this year? So one of the things that we were able to accomplish in COVID is we were able to do an enormous amount of refresh to our classrooms and our labs. We've opened up two brand new science labs. We have, uh, during the pandemic, we have been able to refresh almost all of our lecture rooms throughout the campus. We've updated them with brand new technology, completely refreshed. We refreshed all of the technology at our community campuses, at the Anderson campus as well. So students are going to have just a great experience as they return back to campus. And will there be uh, opportunities for vaccines or anything we are going to provide that or testing or vaccines as we are looking at an uncertain time right now? Absolutely. One of the things that we started at the beginning of COVID that we'll continue to do is on-campus, on-site testing, uh, nearby testing uh, with a partnership from DHEC. Uh, where DHEC is actually set up in one of our parking lots three days a week and the community as well as our students and employees can use them and we have a partnership with Clemson University and Remedy who is their third-party provider of testing uh, that provides on-site testing this fall for students and employees. Uh, we have opportunities as well for individuals to uh, to, to uh, be tested in a variety of local agencies as well. So uh, testing isn't an issue. And then also vaccines. We partnered with a number of individuals to be able to offer monthly vaccine clinics on campus. We've, actu we've actually offered already three or four vaccine clinics uh, throughout the year. Uh, we've got great response from the community as well as employees and more and more students are getting vaccinated. Are there any goals or strategic objectives you and the board have put forth going through this year, which I hope to get accomplished this year? Because you're returning after a very messy year. Yeah, so we are, we are actually talking about that soon in a retreat, formulating uh, some final goals. But I have named three priorities that we're really focusing on for this fall. Uh, priority number one is maintaining a safe and healthy working and learning environment. If we don't have a safe and healthy uh, working and learning environment, people aren't going to want to return. So we have doubled down on a variety of things that I just mentioned, testing, uh, vaccine clinics, incentivizing those, our cleaning and sanitizing protocols remain in place. We've continued to do increased air exchanges, uh, wiping down surfaces, all of the things that you need to do to make sure that you've got a safe and healthy working and learning environment. That's priority number one. Priority number two is taking things that we have learned about uh, how students and employees use technology. We're continuing to infuse technology into our student services as well as our uh, classes. So uh, things like supplemental instruction where students were able to access it at a higher rate because it was offered virtually, we're gonna continue to do that. Uh, so I've talked to students, student government, our National Student Leadership uh, Society group, 
group and I've asked them what worked for you, what didn't work for you, and we've used that information to infuse more technology into the way we deliver. Uh, while still giving that great personal experience. And then priority number three is strengthening enrollment efforts. That I'm happy to say that as we just finished this summer, we were up in enrollment compared to last year and the previous year. And we're tracking to be at a great place this fall as well. So uh, those are the three areas that we're really focused on uh, in the near side. And then we'll focus on some of the more emergent things that we need to pay close attention to uh, with the board in our upcoming retreat. Do you have a ballpark figure on how many students in all programs are being involved? I mean, our ballpark figure idea is about 5,800 students for the fall, somewhere between 5,800 and 6,000. Uh, I think that this fall, right now, is the best time to start uh, your educational journey at Tri-County. If not now, when? Uh, and I say that because we've got an enormous number of opportunities to make call, to, to reduce the cost barrier. Uh, we've got students that may not have ever been able to attend, whether they be dual enrollment students uh, or adults that are trying to transition from one type of job sector to a new type of job sector that may be more sustainable for them and their families. And the great thing about Tri-County is if you've just got an idea or maybe even aren't sure of what to do, we're here to help you figure that out. You don't have to have it all figured out. So uh, at each one of our community campuses, as well as our Pendleton campus, we have advisors that immediately help you with success coaching and enrollment counseling to help you to figure out what your opportunities are. If you need to quickly transition into the workforce, we've got corporate and community education programming that allows you to complete a program in as little as six weeks and maybe up to 14 weeks and you're able to directly enter into the workforce and impact your life. Uh, and, and if it's a uh, traditional age student, you have the opportunity to enter now and use our stack certificate model to move in and out of Tri-County and, uh, and in and out of the workforce over time. But all of those come with them an additional amount of funds that are available this year in particular to make it possible to attend college. So. I can say with almost complete certainty that virtually every student that comes to Tri-County this fall should be able to do so at little to no cost out of pocket with all of the funds that are available. I will be meeting with Anderson University President Evan Whitaker this week and that interview will be part of the next Anderson Observer News from People You Trust podcast. Let's not only hope and pray this school year goes better than expected for all of our educators and students, let's push our representatives in Columbia and our governor to allow districts the autonomy in deciding when virtual school makes sense during a pandemic. One size definitely does not fit all, and let's continue to educate and encourage those who are unvaccinated to help them make wiser decisions and help us all move toward a post-pandemic era. It's also a good time to practice patience on the road as school starts back and there'll be school buses, new drivers, harried parents on the roads again. So give yourself a little extra time in the days ahead. And with less than 140 days left in 2021, the days are getting noticeably shorter. And while there are still some tomatoes and peaches and a few things to be had, supplies are beginning to thin out. So if you haven't been to the Anderson County Farmer's Market yet, you might make, plan a trip there this week and see what's left. Uh, it has been a long, hot summer and it's been good to see all the the bounty that we got paid off from that heat and humidity, but those those things are beginning to vanish. So head on out. There's still plenty right now, but those supplies are, are beginning to dwindle. 
But if you're too hot and too tired to cook, it is the perfect time to visit Sullivan's Metropolitan Grill, which this week unveiled a new website and new menus for lunch and dinner. Uh, it is one of Open Table's top 100 restaurants in America, which we've talked about a good bit. Sullivan's has reigned as Anderson's top fine dining experience for the past two decades. From their signature dinner entrees and specials to lunch favorites and specials, the food is always a treat. Uh, if you haven't been to Sullivan's for lunch anytime recently, try one of their burgers. They are the best burgers in town, bar none, so give them, give them a try. And don't forget that the top homemade desserts Oh man, they just can't be beat. Uh, any of the, if you love cheesecake, they have more more varieties and more wonderful cheesecakes anywhere in town. Their other desserts are great too. And all that same great food is available for your special event with white tablecloth catering. Prices comparable to far less elegant and tasty competitors. If you have not been lately, try Sullivan's this week and tell them you heard about it on the Anderson Observer News from People You Trust podcast. You know, it's always good to see our local citizens who volunteer their time to make our communities better places to work and live. And one pair of such folks are the Pelzer citizens, and they're members of the Pelzer Heritage Commission. They're officers in that group. Diane Lawless and Larry Coker were recently honored by Anderson County for the work which helped them change the faith of some of the things that are being done to renovate and update their hometown. I tell you what, let's just brag on all the great things that are happening in Pelzer and what y'all been up to and why y'all being honored tonight. Well, I'm going to let Joe do the talk. <laughs> well, it started a long time ago with the Pelzer Heritage Committee. As, uh, we had, uh, we have got the land, some maybe six years ago, the land was, all the old Pelzer Mill properties were donated to the Pelzer Heritage Committee by Mr. Tom Green. And so therefore, with all the EPA issues, uh, for us to be able to do any development or anything like that, with with the properties, we had to get it cleaned up. So uh, there's a girl that we work with in Columbia, Gail Jeter, with Cardinal, who is EPA Brownfield Specialist, and Gail's been with us for years. And so she started applying for grants, EPA cleanup grants, and for us, and uh, so we were able to clean the old lower mill up, the old office bay building there that uh, we abated it and cleaned it out for asbestos bay paint. Uh, we are uh, working on, we got a grant now uh, on redevelopment on $200,000 grant on the upper mill for EPA cleanup. It's uh, going to be in some other future development too. Uh, but I can't say enough. For Anderson County, Rusty, Cindy, Steve Newton. They've all chipped, they've all chipped in. And when we had the old property down there, they was pallets that were thousand and up. So the county footed the money to have it all cleaned up. So, But basically, that's, I think we cleaned up the old Pelzer dump site where they used to dump. And uh, we got about... Uh, Six hundred something thousand dollar grant up there to clean it up, remediate it, and make it into an overlooked park there on the Saluda River. So there's a lot in our plans. Uh, we'd like to see some parks, trails down the river, uh, join in with the trails and parks and things they got coming from Dolly Cooper up there in Piedmont down the river for the rafting, tubing, and uh, kayaking. So that's a lot that we're looking forward to is is getting those trails done 
with our Overlook Park that we have now there. And so uh, it's, a, it's just been a long, long out period. Yes, it has. And it's been years. It's taken us almost six years to get a lot of this done. And, uh, and like I say, I can't thank the county and DHEC and EPA and uh, everybody's been involved in this thing to help us get to where we're at now. So now we've got developers looking at it. And so come August the 23rd, we hope to make a big announcement that we're some, some of our redevelopment there in Pelzer. Yeah, we're hoping to uh, revitalize Pelzer. Yeah. And get new people in and, yeah. and get new homes in there and and uh, just make it a different a different town. Yeah. More like the town where we grew up. When we, we grew yeah. up on the streets, we, we both were born there. Yeah. And grew up there and the happiest time of my life was spent there. Yeah. And uh, we're hoping to revitalize and bring back some of that old life that we once knew back into the, and people into the town of Pelson. Well, it sounds like y'all made a lot of progress. Y'all happy with your progress so far? Oh, yeah. Yes, we're happy and with I, Larry, I'm going to give him most of the credit uh, because he's the one that got Mr. Green to uh, give us, donate the land. Mr. Green had come in and bought the mills and tore the mills down and sold the brick and the wooden floors and stuff and he contacted Mr. Green and got him to donate that to the land of, uh, to us in Pelzer Heritage Commission. But we looking forward, you know, to some new exciting things coming our way pretty soon. So. Yeah, one of the first questions I always ask people who seem bent on criticizing most things is what are you doing to make your community a better place? All of us can find some act of service or kindness or place to volunteer. If you need a nudge, call Meals on Wheels of Anderson, AIM, Anderson Free Clinic, United Way of Anderson. They'll give you a list from which you can choose today. Uh, many of you are already involved in helping a neighbor or a family member or a friend with special needs. Uh, others may be involved in one of those agencies I mentioned before or, or another charity doing good work. And some of you I know are part of a church that may be helping to make the place we work and live a little bit better. And one of those places, First Baptist Church of Anderson, is celebrating 200 years on August 22nd. They've had such an impact on this community over the last two centuries, from the early days when they had the, the Johnson Female Seminary, which was basically the grandmother of Anderson University, to their part in founding more than a dozen other churches in the area, to the community services they have done over the years and continue to this day. Their involvements have been an important part of making Anderson a better place and making a difference in Anderson since the early 1800s and that is something to celebrate. So you can check their Facebook page if you're interested in that information. And finally, don't forget to help spread the word that those vaccinations are free, widely available and safe. If we're going to get to the holidays, Halloween is 76 days away, Thanksgiving is 101 days away and Christmas is 131 days away. Without a major shutdown of society, it's going to have to come from following those health guidelines which include vaccines masks and social distancing especially in large crowds and with football season coming up that's a big deal well that's it for this edition of the anderson deliver podcast news from people you trust join me next time when interviews will include anderson county administrator rusty burns anderson university president evans whitaker and a lot more but until then get out and do something to make anderson a better place